0: Last June 12th, Kathleen Parker, the Washington Post, wrote an article entitled The Right to Regret. It was a muddled critique, that's my opinion, of the death with dignity or the end-of-life options uh, now in various states around the country. Kudos to Miss Parker for at least raising the visibility of this issue, albeit in a woefully negative and misguided way. Her critique is full of the usual suspects, extremism, distortion, convenient omissions, and a rather heavy dose of downright silliness. She has, however, provided a good backdrop, or a sounding board, if you will, for examining the legislation to be considered yet again in the state of Maryland, to which Ron Young alluded. Thus this sermon, an open letter to Kathleen Parker and all of my friends and visitors here at UUCF and Senator Ron Young and others who may wish to listen in. Dear Kathleen Parker, it was inevitable that we would one day have an opinion writer of the Washington Post equate death with dignity movement in our society, blessing the killing of ourselves. These are her words, blessing the killing of ourselves. Forgive me, please, Ms. Parker, but that sounds terribly, terribly harsh, even Trump-esque. And it seems especially so since we are obviously a society that does bless killing, at least of others, on a fairly regular basis. We've been at war, more or less, for the last century and a half. Um, We have the death penalty. Uh, Gun violence is out of control. So don't tell me about killing. I know too much about it. The fundamental problem, Kathleen, with your characterization is that most always killing is associated with malice. The Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments, often erroneously translated from the Hebrew as you shall not kill, is more accurately, you shall not murder. And murder is the deliberate taking of another's life with malice. The operative words in the Hebrew being taking and malice. Taking and malice. So my question, Ms. Parker, to you, is where in this movement do you see malice? I've not seen it. I can well understand that you may think that a person swallowing some pills or getting a shot to end their suffering permanently and quickly is taking their own life, as you put it, killing themselves. But for God's sake, let's get something straight right from the start. When someone with a fatal disease, say pancreatic cancer or bone marrow cancer, And the body is wasted away to the point where it is almost nothing and where all treatment by medicine has been exhausted and where the mind and the heart are in anguish, no longer able to even tolerate the bodily and mental pain. What? What? Not who is doing the killing, as you put it. The disease or the pills? the end, the suffering? That's a basic question, and the answer is obvious. So you are wrong, Ms. Parker, on both counts. There is no killing by any person, and there certainly is no malice. Indeed, the very name of an organization to which I belong as part of this movement has the word compassion in its title. Also in that title is the word choices. What that word is all about is a simple decision that only an individual can make and that is when, not if, when, not if the killing by the disease will end. Choice, that is the operative word. So let's talk about choice. In virtually all of the legislation enacted already in five states, the choice to end life has sharp and definitive parameters and guidelines. You begin your article, Ms. Parker, to speak of criteria in the various laws, but in a clear violation of journalistic honesty, you conveniently omit those criterion which addressed the very issues that you attacked later in your article. An interesting technique. When I was a professor of journalism at the Columbia School of Journalism in New York, and if I had received a. Well, I'm making that up. Anyway. <laughs> And finally, Ms. Parker, in what I can only term total silliness, you reduce a serious argument to a question of convenience regarding the continuum of life. And you say, quote, when the continuum of life from conception to natural death is interrupted as a convenience to one's individual concept of time, I'm not ready to be a parent I'm ready to die. What else do we terminate? Gradually inured to the metaphysical considerations of such actions, might we also be denying ourselves access to charity, compassion, empathy, and love? End of quote. As one who has sat professionally beside the beds of dying persons suffering, Those words are almost cruel. Read the legislation, Miss Parker. Please read the legislation. To speak of convenience, convenience is nonsense on its face. And those I have known and loved were not denied charity, empathy, or love. Indeed, it was precisely because they cherished the goodness and the beauty and the sacredness of life, and wanted to affirm it and protect it from the ugliness and the torture of disease that they wished to end their suffering. Please help me, Ron Young said about his mother. Please help me, please help me, please help me, my wife said to me in the weeks before her death. In an urgent plea, to relinquish that beauty of life to the tides of eternity. Convenience? Convenience? Give me a break. I don't think so. There is more, however, to the matter of choice, that operative word. Your article is entitled The Right to Regret. What you think we as a society will regret is having laws that give people the choice to end their lives with dignity. But what you and most state legislatures don't seem to understand is that the failure to allow the choice to end suffering, which is the law in 45 out of our 50 states, is rather a choice, a choice to prolong and to force people to prolong needless suffering, even for people who do not wish to do so. There's a double irony surrounding this issue of choice. The medical profession, which is guided by those words from the Hippocratic Oath, which say do no harm, is trapped by its own success in being able to prolong life indefinitely even when that means putting people into a state of unconsciousness in order to avoid pain. The question being asked by more and more physicians whether or not this is really inflicting more pain and what is the sense of prolonging life just because science enables us to do so. The second irony, of course, is that we live in a land of religious freedom where the creed is freedom of conscience. Many in the medical profession now are coming around to the point where they feel as though the the business of choice is being violated by the states who prohibit those who wish, under strict and rigorous guidelines, from making the choice to die with dignity and end battling the disease that is killing them the question you might well ask miss parker is whether you can respect whether you can respect in our society the beliefs and the wishes of individuals who choose who choose to end their lives we can and should be morally and ethically opposed to the imposition of views upon others, yet this is precisely what 45 states do who wish to have the choice to die with dignity. So it seems to me that the onus runs in the opposite direction from where you have it. Will we as a society regret denying choice to those who wish it? In the end, nothing, as Ron Young said, Nothing is imposed upon anyone. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. So the views and the beliefs of those who do not believe in choice are imposed upon all of the rest of us in 45 states, including Maryland. You and others, Ms. Parker, oppose legislation and refer to the so-called slippery slope It is, and you know it, a red herring that hardly deserves comment, except that it is so often used as an argument. You, however, take the red herring so far upstream that it gets lost in the headwaters. Elderly people simply opting out because it becomes an expectation of society. Come on. A sick family member simply wanting to protect the family... And so ends it all. And finally, your suggestion that a death with dignity law conditions somehow the rest of our values and leads in turn to a high suicide rate. And then you cite Oregon, which passed its legislation in 1997 and has, you say, the highest suicide rate in the country, 35% above the national norm. Except it doesn't, not by a long shot. I'm surprised that you didn't mention Montana, which is much higher and also has a death with dignity law. Washington State is near the national average, as is Vermont. California, however, is 41st in the nation, nearly the lowest suicide rate of all. The highest rate of suicide, however, occurs in Wyoming, 29.6% uh, persons per 1,000 per year. Its rate is off the proverbial chart, almost double Oregon's, and it does not have a death with dignity law. So what is the correlation, Ms. Parker? Virtually none. I have consulted... Uh, with my expert, imaginary friends that I have been, who have helped me through the years struggle with many issues. Uh, They are the drunken elves. And and they have indicated to me very, very quietly, now this is hush-hush, so don't repeat it, that the suicide rate is so high in Oregon, in Wyoming, because people would rather die first before being shot accidentally by Dick Cheney. <laughs> and, they, and they added in an aside that Kathleen Parker's correlation makes as about, about as much sense, but don't tell anybody. The whole issue of suicide is, of course, a serious one, Ms. Parker, And you have trivialized it, just like my drunken elves, my imaginary friends. The deeper problem, however, is that the end-of-life options or death with dignity movement is not about suicide. To be sure, we have all struggled with the terminology, and it is fair to say that there is still considerable confusion among those who are talking about this issue. But by and large, the term suicide has been cast aside by the movement. My now-life partner and wonderful colleague, Sea Raven, has written extensively on this issue, and I quote her here at length. In a recent interview with PBS NewsHour reporter Jeffrey Brown. I had with Diane Rehm. They talked about the understanding that she and her terminally ill husband had. He wanted to relinquish life. He didn't commit suicide. He wanted to let go of life and to be on to the next journey, says Diane Rehm. Even after he said, I'm ready, I'm ready to die, I said to him, sweetheart, are you sure? Is this really what you want? And he said, absolutely. I can no longer use my hands. I cannot walk. I cannot feed myself. I cannot do anything for myself. I am ready to die. John Ream did not have the luxury of legal options for ending his life quickly and painlessly. Instead, he chose to deliberately stop eating and drinking which took ten days. And Diane Rehm ends by saying, I do so resent that John was having to go through this long ten-day process in order to die. What a travesty. He had said ten days earlier he was ready to die, and it took him that long. It shouldn't have. I don't believe it should have taken him that long. Death is no longer perceived as being part of life. Until the 19th century, children often died before they reached the age of five. Women routinely died in childbirth. Plagues came and went on their own mysterious schedules, killing rich and poor alike. But modern Western society has been very successful in denying the reality of death. Our scientific and medical knowledge has allowed us to keep death largely under our own control, or so it seems. We seldom think about our own mortality until some accident or sudden onset of illness confronts us. But as illustrated by John Rehm, when we choose the manner, the time, and place of our own death, when we relinquish life, we actually reclaim life, lived to the very end on our own terms, not somebody else's. Webster's New World College Dictionary notes that the word relinquish implies a giving up of something desirable and connotes compulsion or the force of necessity. That undeniable force is life itself. So thank you, Kathleen Parker, for your opinions. You have helped clarify mine. I hope that you live life without pain or suffering, and that when your life reaches its inevitable end, you will be free to choose, if it becomes necessary, the manner in which you relinquish the forces of life that have carried you in its bosoms all the years long. Sincerely, Mike Morse, your companion on this incredible journey of life. Amen.